Hamin Tamsh Puyihan. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the second episode. We already got one out of the park already, and we didn't even mean to do it so so quickly, but we got carried away. So now we're kind of carrying over into another episode um, where we're going to be focusing on the topic of indigenous fashion, which is going to be so fun to talk about. Um, so my name's Wahi, which is Coyote, um, and it's part of the Wahi name in our um, title. And then I'm going to let you introduce yourself. And then I'll have I'll just do the short version for this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Desba is our Debe. Am I saying it right? Debe. Debe part Debe. of <laughs> Wahi and Debe. So thank you so much for checking out our podcast. Um, so we've kind of done some research ourselves to um, bring up some topics that we'd like to dive into about indigenous fashion. We also created some questions that we can ask each other so we can talk about our own experiences as um, indigenous women with fashion um, and regalia, accessories, all the likes. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and we're also going to be maybe sharing some of our favorite bead workers um and just like fashion designers um so maybe to just like get it started about where we're coming from from our own cultures um we can ask the question to each other when or where do you wear your regalia um so, Desba, if you want to take it away, when and where do you wear your regalia? Um, when? I, this year, like, starting January of this year, like, I started making a really conscious effort to wear traditional clothing almost every day. So, <laughs> I, um, my cousin is a Navajo silversmith, and... His dad was a silversmith, and his grandpa was a silversmith, and so on and so on. So mm-hmm. I he he made a beautiful um, bracelet and uh, ring set, and I wear that almost every day. Um, since then, I kind of have started like collecting a lot more of his pieces, so I wear those usually almost every day. If I'm wearing modern clothing, like I'll wear my silver with it. Um, lately I've also been wearing, um, Navajo skirts and my Mm -hmm. sash that my grandmother wove because she was a, um, she was actually a prominent figure in the Navajo Weavers Association. Um, one of her rugs that she wove is actually in the, um, the museum on Ellis Island. It's a, Mm. it's a, it's a woven Navajo rug of, uh, the Statue of Liberty. So, wow. So I wear that. Like, yeah, I'm actually wearing it right now. Um, oh, cool. So, yeah. Look at so that. I wear that. And then lately I've also, um, I've also started wearing lately the um, Plains trade cloth dresses. Like this was the one that I actually made 
myself, and so it's kind of how cool. Like, yeah, it's a little modern, but um, and it's the Comanche style. But I've started to just kind of incorporate that in my wardrobe. Like I'm trying to like transition in more indigenous pieces and then kind of like transition out all of the modern pieces that I've collected. Just just a personal preference. Yeah. Yeah. I feel Mm -hmm. like that is like an active constant effort of trying to decolonize in a way or um, take the reign back in fashion choices um so for me um it's been kind of difficult to learn about um regalia in my culture because um uh in the early days of the reservation um a lot of my people grew up in extreme poverty um so the images that I have to look back on um, what kind of fashion my ancestors were wearing um, is mostly like really long dresses, um, long sleeve dresses. Um, and I don't think there was really like the ability to afford to make um, like ribbon skirts like we have now. and. That's something I kind of want to get into discussion in this podcast too is um, how ribbon skirts have kind of become in a way similar to like a pan-Indian fashion um, because when I look at like my ancestors, um, pictures of them, I don't really see them in ribbon skirts, but nowadays the regalia considered on my res is like ribbon skirts and ribbon dresses um and ribbon shirts um so I had um I was really fortunate and our community hired somebody to um uh create regalia for us and so we would just go to our community um place and get measurements for our regalia Um, So I have um, some regalia that is a green ribbon skirt with with blue ribbon um, and then same a short sleeve top Um, but I do not wear that um, often. (laughs) I wear it one time a year (laughs) and that's when we have our powwow. Um, My community throws a powwow every year and that's when I wear it. Um, and this is honestly because it doesn't really fit me. (laughs) Um, it's a little too big for me, so the skirt, um, doesn't fit me that well. Um, so it's kind of long and I have to, like, bunch it up in a way when I want to wear it. Um, so I actually don't wear my regalia, um, too often. And I think in part to do with because sometimes I wonder even if it is a regalia, you know, or if it's just something that we kind of created in this contemporary world in coming across with other natives around us. And then um, just kind of like, I don't know, like I, I'm very proud of it, but I, it, I've questioned it in a way because like when I look at like my grandma um, 
and when I look at like my grandpa and stuff that they used to wear it wasn't it wasn't anything like what I have now considered as regalia they just kind of took whatever they had and made it <laughs> native you know um so yeah so I really wear it one time a year for the powwow but it would be cool to make more of a conscious decision. I've actually tried to make a skirt, not a ribbon skirt, but just a skirt because my dad told me that um, Native women, when he was growing up, would wear long skirts. Um, so I wanna get back into that and learn how to just make a really long skirt in maybe like a similar way that I could see in pictures. Um, so yeah, and then like I said, for men, they wear ribbon shirts. But for women, it's ribbon dresses and ribbon skirts um, and shirts. Right. And I think you kind of said something about how, like, um, these type of fashions, um, like the ribbon skirts, kind of started because we came into contact and you came into contact with other natives. And I think that that is kind of like a key to how we should be like moving forward with native fashion because I think mm-hmm. that you know keeping our fashions to ourselves and our tribes and nations and stuff would be a mistake and that's clean mm-hmm. that's merely like my the way I feel about it and I know other people don't they feel very protective over their own um designs which mm-hmm. is which is okay when it comes to like I think patterns and um, like floral beadwork and, and uh, beadwork that is specific to your tribe and your uh, or your nation or your group of peoples because um, back in the old ways that was how certain nations distinguished each other like even certain um, larger groups of nations would you know within themselves they would be able to distinguish which uh, which band they came from by the way they did their beadwork. So that, I feel mm-hmm. like, is, like, it would be going too far to kind of appropriate that type of stuff. But as far as, like, lines and certain cuts of dresses and skirts and bead or ribbon skirts even, like, I feel like there should be a little bit more of a community with Native people because mm-hmm. even, even the dress that I'm wearing now, like, the cut, the trade cloth dress... Um, it was shared among Comanche, the Kiowa, Lakota. Um, it was a it was a certain type of dress that Native women from all of these tribes shared, and mm-hmm. so it, you'll see, like it was the same style of cut, but there were they it was an adornment, you know, it was the mm-hmm. style, and I feel like separating ourselves in a way to where we only allow people of our nation to to wear these type of adornments is is kind of taking more a page from like a colonial book you know like Mm -hmm. trademarking copywriting keeping yeah dividing Mm -hmm. i think that's a really excellent point too because like you said like in the old ways like tribes would contact each other and they would share and trade and be influenced by each other so it's like my tribe the comanches were they weren't really known for like a lot of their artisan work and and stuff like that like within my family we did have somebody who was um an artist or a designer but 
um, they got most of their wear from trading. And even mm-hmm. in one of like the old pictures that I have of like my great aunt, my great 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 aunt, she's wearing like a, a belt that you can tell is Navajo silverwork. So it's mm-hmm. kind of like a thing to where we have to ourselves kind of accept that our ancestors traded ideas yes. and designs yes. and that shouldn't be something that we ourselves should be overly protective of because it's it it's something that we can use to like strengthen our identity as I agree. And in many instances things were gifted. So they were given explicit permission and you know told by whoever was gifting it. I would like you to wear this, you know. Um, I mean, you see that with, like, headdresses with um, some tribes that practice that. Um, or, you know, other tribes that, like, moccasins and stuff, where they would gift um, certain accessories and items to people. And I don't think it's up to me or any, you know, other person to decide, well, you know, you shouldn't do that because it's appropriation or you know we shouldn't be we should be protective of this stuff when it's like i really have no business to say what another tribe's accessories how they should be handled you know really only i can have control over like what i gift um you know so i think yeah i think it's kind of too like with fashion is kind of like learning our places you know in a way too where it's like i could never say that you know if somebody wanted to share their tribal or sacred um accessories and fashion with somebody that like I have a say in that you know because that's I think that would be colonial too trying to claim ownership over somebody's rights to share their culture that's totally up to them and not for me to decide you know yeah and you do see that like with um with people that are designing like they and I know I've heard some say that they do design with native people in mind but they're not exclusive to native people they're Mm -hmm. open to like settlers and other people in other tribes and nations um supporting through purchasing their work and so like on a certain level they're designing like with that in mind they're not going to you know put some type of sacred design or item on something they're selling so it's mm-hmm. kind of, but yeah, I think it is up to the person and then the nation or, or group of people to decide. I just think that certain things are just like, like this particular cut of dress, I think I read what has been in, um, in style with native women for like 300 years. Wow. And so, yeah, mm-hmm. so I feel like it's kind of one of those things where, before uh, colonialism and before settler violence, it was one of those things where this was just the style, you know, like the mm-hmm. type of dress that people would wear. Mm-hmm. But I haven't, I didn't really research very much on ribbon skirts, but I know that that was kind of a discussion that I had read was that it was, you know, some people were questioning whether or not it was appropriation. Yeah, yeah, I feel like there was actually a question about this on Native Twitter recently, on if Natives can appropriate other Natives, which I feel like is a whole other discussion, (laughs) (laughs) but kind of, you know, pertinent to fashion, because I feel like a majority of the time that we're talking about appropriation on Native Twitter is when a settler is wearing 
a sacred or specific accessory um, native to a certain tribe or people. So fashion does find itself in the appropriation um, conversation a lot. Yeah, I just, well, I just don't really, I guess I'm just used to it because I'm used to seeing Navajo silversmith uh, works on people everywhere. Like turquoise yeah. squash blossoms, turquoise jewelry, um, on other natives, it's just, you know, it's just a thing, you know, it's how people show their pride in native craftsmanship and artisan work. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the intense, you know, connection and, and respect for our traditions that have, that they've been able to survive. So it's kind of just like whenever you see a, like a true Navajo, uh, work of silver out in the world it's not really a sense of like oh how dare they think they can wear that it's they somewhere along that the line that fed their family you know Mm -hmm. it was something that was created to Mm -hmm. to you know feed their family or show their work be a work of art somewhere yeah and I think that kind of gets into like the um, like with powwows and trading posts and places like that like a lot of times like indigenous fashion designers and artists like their intents and purposes like you said are different people in mind so if anything if you want to support native people do it with your cash <laughs> you know <laughs> like vote with your money in a way you know like make change with your money if you believe in indigenous artists pay them you know Mm -hmm. so i think it's beautiful when we have powwows and such like that which kind of gets into your question about like what do you think about non-natives wearing um traditional indigenous regalia i don't know about traditional indigenous regalia but like when it comes to um like jewelry and um, other accessories that natives have made with non-natives in mind, I think that's great because it can be a source of income for them and it can be a way to express support in their work. Um, But then when it comes to traditional indigenous regalia, I can really only speak for like my people, you know? Um, I don't see people trying to appropriate like my regalia you know what I'm saying like I don't really see settlers in ribbon skirts too often um and like when it comes to like art I mean because my grandpa is also from Mesa Grande so Mesa Grande is another tribe in Southern California so I'm also have some native um some native ancestors from Mesa Grande and like so like traditional regalia of like my great great grandfather he like wore um like an owl skirt or like sorry an owl um like headdress and like an eagle feather skirt like I don't personally see anybody (laughs) I don't see like non-natives trying to wear that stuff what I do (laughs) see is like headdresses you know and 
that's super frustrating because even though it's not my tribe it does affect me and other natives that are not um that are not plains indian in a certain way because it becomes a stereotype that's forced upon all of us um but what do you think about that like when non-natives wear traditional regalia yeah that that's kind of just like one of the things that really like i have i don't know if i would call them fantasies but (laughs) i have these like scenarios this these thought exercises of like what what i would do if i saw somebody and they usually are very like they they vary from like very aggressive like extremely (laughs) aggressive (laughs) to down to like just like passive aggressive my last one and i actually thought about this today was i was like oh on halloween i'm just gonna like arm myself with these very like ripe tomatoes and then like if i see somebody i'm just gonna like practice and like beam it right under their face and and then i'm gonna like introduce myself in comanche and be like you know come and earn it (laughs) you know because it's just like it's so emotional for me and like i do call them out on twitter sometimes but like it's just like my great 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 grandfather died wearing one of those you know like Mm -hmm. it's it means something to all natives because it is a symbol it is our our you know our purple heart our medal of honor yeah our everything and for it to just be so casually disrespected like that by like Mm -hmm. the descendants of people that were aggressors and here yeah. in Texas, that's a thing. Like, I know that these um, white girls wearing these, that they're not, like, they may have some percentage of whatever, um, but they, like, without a doubt, their great-great-great-grandfathers were, you know, settlers. mine, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, literally at Original settlers. And, and so it's just, like, it, it is kind of this whole thing that does get my, like, heart racing. And, like, I feel like that is when, where, when I'm, like, really just about to, you know, make some enemies. <laughs> but yeah. It's yeah. Just... And I feel like when you learn more, too, like, about your culture, like, um, it starts to get more personal. Um, like, when I learn stories about, like, my great-great-grandfather who, like, was a medicine man and like earned each feather that he had you know for his headdress and stuff and think about like the pain that he endured and stuff like under um early california settlers to now seeing it on runways with like bombshell fashion models who have absolutely no interest and learning about the significance of it, it totally does get your blood boiling. And it's just exhausting because I feel like each time, like I just saw this recently happen with another fashion designer who created these bikinis with headdresses. Can't remember the fashion designer's name. I actually don't want to remember the fashion designer's (laughs) name because they should not get any credit for the garbage that they spewed. But it's just wild to think that they think they're being creative you know like they think that they're being like controversial or whatever it is like they think that they're putting out something new and it's like how many times do we have to go through this same cycle of these like settler fashion designers trying to claim 
work that isn't theirs. And I think it's like, I know that there, it's not like irredeemable. It is pretty ugly. <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, I think that they, if they recognize that they like, like that aesthetic, it's just lazy at the very, mm-hmm. at, the, at the most, the most innocuous way to see it is that it is extremely lazy to think that they can honor or like replicate the aesthetic of a um, indigenous person by using the headdress when it's really like if you wanted to um there's there's other ways to go about it and it's just extremely like now i think that they do it just because they think that we're not here anymore and that there's no one to Mm -hmm. really call them out or tell them there are consequences to their laziness but hopefully I mean like I do see that it is different now than it was even five years ago just because of how social media is and how you know people are starting to come around and in the way that they view indigenous people so I think that it eventually it will get to the point to where people kind of will realize that that kind of behavior is is off limits yeah intolerable (laughs) (laughs) um i think that leads though into like your question about wearing regalia and traditional clothing as representation of people so you put like the example of like drinking or consuming substances while wearing traditional clothing at coachella and like i can remember when i was in middle school like seeing images on tumblr of like settler white girls wearing so it's like so exhausting to even remind you of but (laughs) yeah of like wearing headdresses and like drinking jack daniels um Mm. you know but i think it's cool because it's also questioning like like i think it's kind of easy for me to see that as wrong but i like this question because it also questions like do we as natives have a responsibility when we're in our regalia or wearing our traditional clothing to embody and represent ourselves in a certain way? Yeah, definitely. And it's something that, like, I think it's not really... It doesn't come up very often because indigenous people don't really wear their regalia on a, you know, on a more daily basis to be you know thinking about it but it is something that I have been thinking about because I've started to wear my sash and like traditional appearing stuff um more often Mm -hmm. like I won't wear it if I know that I'm going to be somewhere where I'm going to be drinking because it's just out of respect for my family Mm -hmm. um because I do feel like when I wear this, I'm a representation of my family mm-hmm. first. My uh, my grandmother um, on my maternal side. So that's really like a big no-no <laughs> to disrespect your grandmother on your maternal side in a Navajo culture. And that's what I feel like it is. is because it's just, it plays into, and I hate that I, it's kind of... It, it almost feels like I'm giving, I'm conceding to settler colonialism when I do it, but I feel like at this point in time, it's necessary for me to put that line there because it's it mm-hmm. plays too much into the stereotype of a drunken native. And not that I act crazy or anything when I drink, it's just that I don't want that stereotype to be driven 
any deeper into like anybody that would see me and say Mm -hmm. that's a native she's drinking all my Mm -hmm. (laughs) stereotypes are confirmed yeah so that I think and then like even last night like I posted a comment on um this girl I think she was indigenous to South America because the headdress she was wearing looked very um South American and I don't like using South American, but I don't know specifically which tribe. Um, mm-hmm. Just that they're indigenous to that region. And I felt like I had to say something because it was someone who was young. And I felt like if they were to delete it, you know, earlier, then rather than let it, you know, just get bigger and bigger, it would be better than if they were just doubling down and doubling down because that was their culture and I don't know how she got that headdress but I'm pretty sure it would have been through their family because it looked authentic and she was like in some street drinking or taking a shot and I just was like wow that is yeah incredibly disrespectful yeah but she ended up deleting it so I was like grateful yeah yeah and I feel like you kind of um like when we're young we kind of need that guidance you know, mm-hmm. um, because we don't see so many things that we do as being representative of our people and stuff. Like, I know I didn't when I was younger, regardless of if I was in regalia or not, you know. Um, but I think that's really powerful that you're, like, trying to reclaim um, ownership over the representation that you exhibit when you're out in public, Um and recognizing a risk I feel like a lot of people regardless of being native or not um would easily overlook feeling like they have to represent wherever they come from in social settings like that you know because it's very easy to excuse it as well I'm just having fun and like it's not that serious you know um but you're kind of turning that on its head and saying it is that serious and I think that's super important. Yeah, I, and I do that, and I, I say that I do draw that line there, like with my sash bell and with like being overtly um, indigenous appearing, and I hate that term, but when I do wear my sash bell and, all, and my moccasins, like I am representing my nation, and I do mm-hmm. take that seriously because I understand how little representation there is, and when I'm wearing like appearing that way and presenting myself as from the Navajo Nation like I do want to be a good representation like Mm -hmm. and but on the other side of that too like for the more like nuanced side of it where I where I kind of recognize that the reason why I don't do that is because of all of our history with alcohol and all of that I do also try to reclaim that because I also when I don't wear my regalia my sash or any or my moccasins I wear I do always wear like some type of native jewelry and that's where I know that I look native I'm not like specific to a nation or a tribe I do always want to appear native but I will let myself drink or well not mainly just drink because I feel like also that's another thing is like if somebody is paying attention to me enough to recognize that I'm native just by the style of earrings that I have then they're already close enough to where I can also you know be educating them on other like 
things. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that... Like, I feel like at that certain point, like, it's my responsibility as an individual to say, like, this is how I am being responsible in myself. And Mm -hmm. I am a Native person, but I'm also fully conscious and aware of my decisions. And if I'm choosing to drink, it's not because I'm a stereotype. It's because I am a person who has the ability and the faculties to make my own decisions. Mm -hmm. And... So that's where I, like, I really draw the, the line in the sand. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Like, I, I don't think I've ever really heard that um, from other natives. Um, I haven't asked them, you know, what, what it feels like when, if they have, like, a certain responsibility when they're out in public, you know? So that's, I feel like that'll be news to a lot of people. Um, yeah, I think, and those type of thoughts, like, I feel like wouldn't have came if I didn't, you know, start to consciously, you know, replace all of my modern type outfits with more, you know, like traditional appearing and more indigenous made and and things like that. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So maybe we can now get into, like, we did some looking into like fashion um like high fashion in a way I guess you could say of like uh native designers um as you might know Toronto Fashion Week um like Indigenous Fashion Week um just happened around like last month um so it's kind of a good time to talk about Indigenous fashion um and maybe you could get into like who are your favorite indigenous fashion designers beaters or icons in the fashion world um and we thought about maybe this is something that we could talk about in the future as we maybe discover more um people in fashion but just right now as we're recording this who is your favorite hmm my uh well i don't have like one favorite I think um, I think maybe we should talk about like the high fashion, like the concept designers, mm-hmm. and then kind of go down into like the more like small, smaller. Um, I don't want to say accessible, but it seems like that's the right right. Yeah, word. like yeah, that is yeah, it makes sense. So for in Toronto Indigenous Fashion Week, I was like really interested in it because I like always paid attention to fashion weeks like I Mm -hmm. really like fashion a lot like it was a big part of my teenage life and there was there was definitely was no representation I feel like in native um, designers and now that there is a whole week I did look at a few of them and I was kind of disappointed there weren't very many like there weren't many more YouTube videos that showed like the actual runway walks but mm-hmm. I did see that there were features. Um, so my favorites were uh, Leslie Hampton, um, Neil Perkins, and then there was also uh, Evan Ducharme. Those were the three that mm-hmm. kind of really mm-hmm. stuck out to me um, because they had they had a lot of videos. <laughs> mm-hmm. 
and they did talk about like their influences and how how it was rooted in their indigeneity and and like I think a couple of them mentioned too about how they were designing to honor matriarchs and that kind yeah. of just was it was just so inspiring to see because I feel like that is like a really big theme in indigenous lifestyle is honoring your matriarch so it was yeah. really nice to see that come out in designs yeah did you did you look up any from the fashion week yeah I actually wrote down Evan Ducharne also um but I highlighted my favorite I can't I don't think I wrote down their last name but Catherine from Red River in Canada um I believe they were doing like beadwork and um indigenous women as warriors and what I thought was super <laughs> sentimental to my little Pisces soul was that um, she or they incorporated images of their grandmother um, into their show. And like, I swear, like when I don't know if it is for other people, but like whenever I do anything native, I like keep my grandmother in mind um, or my grandfather. So. I thought it was really special that she gave like a specific nod um, to her grandmother in her work. I believe she like created like uh, f- like artwork and fashion like featuring her grandmother's face and stuff. Mm-hmm. And what I thought was so cool about it and is my favorite thing um, is that it was like kind of futuristic in a way um, where she was designing like these like armor for native women um so it felt kind of futuristic in a way of like uh you know where we could see like indigenous futurism um when we're getting ready for the revolution (laughs) (laughs) the uprising yeah (laughs) my my fbi Uh, agent liked that one (laughs) um But I thought that was really cool and kind of futuristic, too, of, like, reclaiming um, femininity as a strength, matriarchs as a strength, womanhood as something powerful and not something to be seen as weak. So them wearing armor was super cool. Um, Was that that the one that um, they also produced a cradle board? I think so. I'm not sure. I don't think um, I saw a cradle board actually, but I would love was, to see that. I think there was one um, at Toronto where they had created like a a really cool like futuristic uh, cradle board, and I was like stunned because I I love cradle boards. Yeah, <laughs> my, mom, my mom had me in one, and Aww. like my gra- my grandma said that like when they were herding sheep, they would just like put me on a branch and I would just feel like swaying in the wind <laughs> <laughs> how cute like, oh my god so good. that's yeah, adorable I saw that one there um so I think one of your questions was talking about there was there was just this um there was this fashion designer there in Toronto Leslie Hampton that I mentioned earlier Mm-hmm. She had a whole, um, and I'm going to send you these in the thing. Okay. Um, she had a whole, 
show that was based off of um, she called it lithium and it was based off of uh, her experiences and, and bringing awareness to mental health issues oh cool I don't know whether I should just put this right in the document or yeah you I'm in the yeah. document so you can put it there too okay so it's right there on the bottom. And she said that she was based off of her experiences with uh, friends who were bipolar. Mm. And so the collection started out with these um, really colorful patterns. I think it's right there on like this fourth page. Started out with these colorful patterns to oh, represent wow. the mania of wow. bipolarism. And then she kind of got into the more darker palettes to represent, um, like, depression. Yeah. And then at the end of it all, and I don't think I have the pictures at the end, she had more of, like, a palette that was, like, silver or metallic to kind of represent the lithium that that they use to kind of counteract all of those symptoms. And I just thought that that, that whole concept and how... Um, this designer presented herself was like really just it really shows you how like indigenous designers and artists are not only like just building off of their identity and and relying on that but they also are introducing concepts that will move our people forward and yeah that that was a major one and bringing like bringing the mental health illness because nobody has to do that like like how we talked about before about how uncomfortable it is to put yourself in those spaces um Mm -hmm. so to just kind of incorporate it in the art of designing these high fashion concepts just to bring awareness to Mm -hmm. mental health awareness and illnesses and stuff like that is just really important I think and it was really good to see yeah excuse my language but like that is so fucking beautiful like I'm so happy you shared that right now seriously like what I think is so cool about that too though is when I was first diagnosed with bipolar disorder um I didn't take lithium but my doctor was really recommending me to like learn more about the illness and one of the first things that I learned is that um native communities actually um, in the old ways before colonization when somebody had bipolar disorder or something of the like I'm sure they, they had their own name for it they learned um, that lithium would counteract the symptoms and so they would have them walk through lithium springs um, that there are some places that are like native like that um, that naturally um like radiate the lithium chemical in the swamps and stuff um and so like how freaking perfect you know and also just like a nod to the massive intelligence and knowledge that native medicine has before colonial and western medicines even knew what bipolar was or how to diagnose it and then you know what type of modern medicine or whatever so I think that's so cool that she also created a dress that kind of speaks to and you know it's so hard sometimes like being a native person who takes western medicine to um 
combat mental illness and stuff. So I think that's a really cool way of breaking the stigma um, because some of us just need medicine and as much as we don't like Western ways and Western medicine and pharmaceuticals and stuff, sometimes it's necessary for us to get stable like that. So that's so cool that that was in Toronto Fashion Week. Like, I'm so amazed. Mm -hmm. That's a really good find. I was just, I was just so, like, blown away when I saw it and saw just, like, the concepts. And then also I started to, like, I think it was one specific YouTube video, but it also kind of touched upon the fact that she is reconnecting with her culture, too. Mm. And she, she openly talks about how she is she was internationally based and that she's only recently started to reconnect with their culture so she recognized and she just like verbalized the fact that she is a native or she is a fashion designer and that was her main drive but that only now since reconnecting with her indigenous cultures as a first nations woman um or descendant that it's starting to you know like go into her work and present itself there and I think that is a beautiful way to also you know bring awareness to the fact that indigeneity is not on a set timeline like you can't Mm -hmm. you can't always be like thinking that everybody has to be born into it and have the same privilege that you do to be enrolled or on a res or anywhere like that you know some people some of our brothers and sisters are going to come home you know from Mm -hmm wherever they were not through their fault of their own or their families or this generation or even the generation before it's just that because of colonialism they were displaced and now you know we should be doing these type of aware like uh, projects to make people aware that there's no one mold that we all fit into yeah that's that's super beautiful and I think that's a great example for like when settlers ask what can I do to like reconnect with my culture, you know, or like people who just claim indigeneity just to get the ease of being able to exploit it or, um, you know, use it for their personal gain or whatever online or otherwise. This is a perfect embodiment of like, well, not perfect, but like a really great example of what someone can do when going through the journey of reconnecting, you know? Exactly, yes. Yeah, that's so, yeah. super awesome. And it's so, I mean, even just now with us just talking about it and, like, bringing all these concepts out, like, it was all inspired by this this collection, you know? It's like, and that is just, it's it's worth a lot, you know? Like, somebody to put their identity and their experience into a collection like this and to bring it all you know, into something very tangible that you can, like, look at and identify with. So that's, Mm -hmm. that's, that was one of my favorite collections that I saw. That's super cool. That kind of leads me into, like, this one thought that I had when we were thinking about, um, talking about this topic was body positivity in indigenous fashion. And I personally didn't find, um, I mean, I saw some representation of different body shapes but I think that's just like a a larger narrative about high fashion in general is how there's not a lot of plus size or um, like size variance among models and I think 
Go ahead. The last photo showed probably the the most like you know the different body type. I would say. Yeah. Yeah, and, I see that now. But and then, but still, it's just was like that, and then all of the other mainstream. And she still looks like really tall, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's still, but yeah, like you said, I and then when I was looking through it, I saw. I mean, to be honest, like even if it wasn't that much, it was still more than what you would expect mm-hmm. from a high fashion designer coming out with their first collection to have no representation for body yeah. images. And I think that like for these indigenous fashion designers, like they kind of just like come out of the gate with it. Like they don't wait for people to tell them to do it or you know make that their niche thing it was always just like at least they started out without that one bit of representation yeah I feel like it's so necessary though because like it's not a secret that we have like you know diabetes and like um food deserts and like so many inaccessible things happening in our communities that creates size variance among native people. Um, So I feel like it's really important to me because I think it's just realistic to have size variance in their shows because I don't know what it's like for other people, but like in my community, you know, like plus size and being fat, I'll say the word fat, (laughs) is common. Um, you know, because of lack of education about nutrition or whatever. And that's not really the point of it. It's just that we should be fat positive, you know, we should be accepting because that's the reality of some of our communities. And so, um, I think it, yeah, I think it's cool, like seeing different representations given that a lot of these, um, designers, like this was their first time or, like the you know more serious time that they're putting their work on display and they thought to include size variety um unlike you know fashion designers that have been doing this for like freaking centuries and never (laughs) think about adding plus size models to their runway um so yeah, yeah i'm yeah i'm glad i saw like some representation of that like in toronto fashion week yeah, but um, and then I think, like you said, it, I, it's more like for high fashion designers. I felt like they were trying to be accessible to make their art more of like a. It was more the the more, <laughs> on a, okay, I'm getting all tongue tied, <laughs> but like for for the high fashion designers, they made it more about like presenting their art in like they still kind of stayed close to like high fashion concepts I think but they were still Mm -hmm. making the real onus of it be on their how they incorporate their indigeneity and their traditional ideals and when I saw more of like body positivity in the accessible category like for Mm -hmm. um the other brand that I wanted to mention was um OXDX, which is mm-hmm. a Navajo company, mm-hmm. uh, and that that Navajo company is the owner is Jared Yazi, and 
there were a lot of time like rep- there's a lot of representation on their website and just like in the sizing and like you can tell that that was something that was just like on the table from the beginning like in, in designing was that they were going to design for all bodies and um like there was this like i put the picture in the in the google doc but there's the the last one there's this mm-hmm. skirt like a pencil skirt and for pencil skirts like I always see those on like thinner smaller models yeah. so to kind of see that they put that on their larger model was just mm-hmm. I I want it like <laughs> yeah right I want to buy that um and then just today like there was this uh new uh collection that just launched it um it's a Cree designer it's called Mobilize and they had, I remember, I it kind of stuck out to me, too, because they had just posted about how, like, their larger sizes were all sold out. Mm. So, mm. I feel like if, you, if you're going to be designing with Indigenous people in mind, like, you definitely have to make sure everybody, everybody is included. Otherwise, you're just yes. not, your business is not going to, it's not going to make it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's what I mean by it being, like, realistic. You know, mm-hmm. because we we are as diverse as a population as any other population. So recognizing that diversity, we need to make space for fat and uh, for fat people and size varieties, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that could be said, too, about like accessibility for disabled people and disabled disabled natives, you know, in mm-hmm. fashion work um, and anything else that we do. Um, but yeah, that's really cool that, um, Navajo fashion designer. I really like that skirt. It's really cute. It's really cute. And like the trim at the bottom. Yeah. And like, I say this about fashion, like high fashion all the time, let alone native fashion. Like, why wouldn't you want to show fat models? Because when I see something like this, when I see like a, um, thicker or fat or whatever model modeling something it gives me the confidence to want to buy it mm-hmm. but when I only see thin people represented it makes me self-conscious as hell and I don't want to buy it so like exactly. I think it makes sense as a business model like you said it, your business won't be successful if it's not including us mm-hmm. because I'm not going to want to buy your product if I think it's going to make me feel uncomfortable and insecure Right. You know, and and like the this this photo, like she looks so freaking like hello confident, like yeah, it's just her the pose, the the way that they didn't choose like a like a, a super concealing top, like yeah, it, and it's, it's like not retouched. I can tell uh-huh. it's a good photo, like, yeah. And I think uh, the photographer, and I, I hope I'm not wrong, but I'm pretty sure that it was Hannah Manuelito. And she's an, a Navajo photographer, and she is just so body positive that it uh, it kills me. It's just so good. Yeah, she's that's so awesome. good. She's on um, Instagram, but it's just like that company itself. Like I really like. I want to buy so many things from that from that store. <laughs> <laughs> that's super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything in our topics that you wanted to get into? Um, um, let me take a look. Hmm. 
Um, I think just the main thing that we didn't really discuss would have been... I didn't really have many, many, like, topics, but one thing I did want to point out when I was doing all of this research was about how, was just how much, like, the new fashion designers of all, like, high fashion and accessible, or accessible were about reclaiming, um, you know, native designs and doing it by creating this modern concept of what it, what it looks like to be native and Mm -hmm. I think that that is really important like to understand with all with all of these native designers is that they are really at the forefront more so than any other industry I think and this is my own personal opinion in you know bringing modern native indigeneity into the modern mainstream like yeah I think that they are doing absolute work out there to show everybody just how diverse and how Mm -hmm. important and how just creative natives are just any native you know like almost every native that I have met has exhibited just like amazing creativity in like almost everything that they can do you know and just this part of just like adorning yourself and and showing your regalia is a big part of how native people have held on to like traditions and cultures because it's just so important that like when people see you and they know that you're native just because you're proud and that's how you identify like it really helps to feel just comfort comforted you know mm-hmm. in your identity and that's like what I've felt like since I've started I really I really feel that like since I started really paying close attention to how I present myself that when I present myself as in like indigenous it gives me a lot of strength that I didn't even know that I had (laughs) wow yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's so beautiful like you're I I think it's true too because I mean like we we all wear clothing you know that's something that's just like a human experience you know so Mm -hmm. of course um why wouldn't, like, our fashion designers be at the forefront of that, you know? And, yeah, I think it's also beautiful, too, because, like, it is just one of the many art forms that natives for millennium have been doing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, of course, it's going to evolve as time goes on. And so, yeah, I think that's a super good observation of how native fashion designers have been kind of at the forefront of making space you know like we just saw um like a bunch of native fashion designers featured in vogue um which is so cool you know to see that representation in such a hugely western like monopoly kind of company on fashion so you know it's I mean, it's it's unfortunate to admit that there's, like, a lot of work or, like, places and spaces that natives need to take more up. But fashion is one where it seems like they're doing a really great job at trying their hardest to be seen and to mm-hmm. represent for other people. Mm-hmm. I think you can really, like as a modern and native living in modern times you can really draw a lot of parallels from native fashion because 
when you see how they're how they're doing a lot of work to redefine native wear, traditional native designs, traditional native materials, and make it into their own modern work of you know because anything that you make is a native you know it's a native product you know anything that Mm -hmm. I make I can say this is made by Navajo or whatever Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like they're doing a lot of identity work and for me like I Mm -hmm. feel like it has been like super beneficial for me just in the short time that I've like been researching um native fashion is just that it's evolving and Mm -hmm. too often you see that concept that native like indigeneity is what our ancestors made for us and it is like that is that is the groundwork that is what you should be basing everything you do in um but you also should be creating you know your own work your own artistry and creating and redefining concepts for modern indigenous people for your descendants you know and Mm -hmm. i feel like these fashion designers are doing it in a really concrete and creative way yeah yeah i completely agree yeah so maybe should we as we wrap this up um give a shout out to some of our favorite bead work um our beaders oh yeah definitely um i have to yeah who are your favorites Yeah, so I have to, have to, have to mention a huge thank you, Hakuba'ai, to um, Nuwuvi Beads on Instagram. So it's N-U-W-U-V-I period beads on Instagram. Um, I had her, I commissioned her to create um, a medallion and earring set for me and they came out literally stunning I haven't shared them yet because I'm trying to find the right moment um, but I'm such a huge fan of her work her beads are so beautiful they are like sparkly and just so pretty um, and she does a great job at earrings um, so yeah she's been a huge person that um, I've been following on Instagram recently and then, um, if you want to go next, I'll try to remember my second one where I got my beads from. Um, well, around, like, the first time that I started, you know, discovering Native Twitter and all of its benefits and glories, I, uh, started following Hyatt's gun. I think that's, or I hope that's how you pronounce it or close to it. So it's at... H-A-Y-A-T-S-G-A-N um, or mm-hmm. Striking Stick on Insta. So she's a um, Gitsan from... She's a Gitsan woman from Alaska. So she has a... She talks a lot about beadwork and how she just recently started um, getting into it, like last year. And she got into it from a program called Rematriate. And so she talks about that a lot on Insta, but I've actually purchased a few um, few pieces from her, and I just, like, I love them. Like, I feel like <laughs> she puts a lot of, like, her own her own self into the beadwork that she does, and so I just, I appreciate it. I appreciate her time, her efforts, <laughs> creativity, and she's just a great person. And a That's good awesome. <laughs> um, 
The second person I was going to mention was um, Nuwuvi Beads. So N-U-W-U-V-I. Oh, wait, no, that's who I just mentioned. Sorry. Um, oh, okay. I meant to mention Nomad Culture 406 and the first person that I mentioned who made um, the custom set for me. Now I'm actually going to talk about Nuwuvi Beads. Sorry, I'm all over the place. But... <laughs> um, she made some beautiful red earrings that I had to get. Um, and she, I don't know, like, she makes them so fast, too. Like, I see her, um, like, you know, in her stories talking about them, and it's just, like, incredible work. And then I recently bought um, a keychain from Star Beads. That's um, star with two R's, period, beads, on Instagram. And it came with a little palm, um well it's actually a big palm and it's so freaking cute it's like my favorite keychain that I've ever had and I've had a few beaded keychains but I think like that is like the kind of like contemporary style that's like bringing it you know into the more modern world like there's a lot of like handbag and um like accessory shops that do like the big palms the fluffy palms for keychains and so I thought it was so cute that she added that to like a beaded um keychain so that was like one of my favorite recent pickups as well um so one of my favorite indigenous jewelry makers is um AJ Nikwatiwa um, she is Hopi and Navajo. She does a lot of work with Intalium shells, um, also uh, par flesh. So she actually paints onto, um, I think it's like a tanned animal hide. And I just, I've purchased so, so wow. much from her. And she just, she has a lot of work out there right now. But it's just she has her own style and everything i i love everything i want i want all, all of what she has but she's just one of those where um i just i like how she she does a lot of work with acrylic on the par flesh and um it's something that i haven't really seen she doesn't do a lot of she doesn't do bead work but she's still kind of using the dentalium shells and like the native trade items so that I think is what really draws me to her is because I want like I just want all of my jewelry to be native like I I, I haven't really worn any of like my modern native or my modern jewelry because mm-hmm. I'm just so right now I'm just like so taken with like dentalium shells mm-hmm. silver I want buffalo bone and elk teeth and I just want to see more more of that like more yeah cook em scars and sani scars and <laughs> that's so cool. seal skin i mean we can't have seal skin in the u.s but every time i see like first nations people wearing their seal i'm just like yes yeah <laughs> it looks so good <laughs> that's so cool yeah um so that's just a few people that we mentioned now but like i'm sure we're gonna make it like a reoccurring segment Um, where we go through and talk about, like, fashion artists and beaters that we're really admiring. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap it up? Um, Mm, 
Well, um, I just want to mention that if you're native or indigenous and you want to like start looking into making these type of crafts, I, I definitely think that that is worthwhile and that there are a lot of, like now, there are a lot of like resources for people to start making their own beadwork and like mm-hmm. doing that kind of stuff. And I would say definitely to just go for it and start, yep. start doing it. There's some tutorials on YouTube that I've been watching recently of mm-hmm. beaters trying to share their methods. So if you're like me and trying to learn, I know desbo has been doing some of her own beading, which has <laughs> been really stunning. Um, so yeah, I hope that if anybody out there is inspired by this podcast to maybe start up or continue, yeah, keep doing it. Like that's what our ancestors would have wanted um, for us to do is work with our hands and create art and share it with our communities so Mm -hmm. you totally have our support here (laughs) on the pad on the podcast but um hakupa i thank you again so much for listening to us in our like first real episode i guess you could say where we kind of (laughs) got into a topic and you know maybe we can visit this topic once again um but approaching it with different lenses and stuff maybe in the next next year's um fashion week we can do another segment on this um thank you for listening if you're from native twitter hello again and (laughs) please share um and tell us if you found any beaters or fashion designers in toronto that we missed that you think is definitely worth mentioning we'd love to share and talk about it as well Mm -hmm. so um as i say pahikotan heave see you later and i'll let desba sign out as well Ah, okay. Well, uh, Ada, yeah, for listening. And Hagone, Hagoshi. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. <laughs> Bye.